0: Good morning, it's good to see you. Those of you that are joining us online, we're so glad that you've joined us this morning. And uh, man, you're every bit a part of what's going on here at First Charlotte, so thank you for being with us here. Those of you that are gathered with us, man, good to see you today. Uh, Missed you just in the past week, and some of you here are probably here for the first time uh, coming back. So thank you for being here with us. We're glad to see your faces. If this is your first time with First Charlotte, whether you're online and just can I connect with us, or if you're here today for the first time, we would love to get to know who you are. We'd also love to send you a gift. And so on the screen is a little bit of information. If you'll text the word connect to the number on the screen, that'll uh, prompt us and we'll, we'll connect with you. We'll mail you a gift, get to know you a little bit more. That'll be on the screen throughout the service um, together. So tune in for that. We'd love to connect with you uh, there. I, I know, church family, I just want to address our church family uh, for a moment that this has been a, a very, in a lot of ways, a hard week. Um, it has been for me. And I know for many of you, it, it's also been a very hard week. And um, I want to acknowledge that this morning and also think that it's really good that we're together um, and that we're here uh, because God has something for us um, as we move forward as a church family. And one of the things that I want to remind you of as a church family is that, is that though things can happen and though, though things can disrupt, and uh, we still have a mission as a church. And, and, and we still have something God wants to accomplish through us. And the enemy would like more than anything to disrupt that, to distract that, and to discourage us in that. And while there are losses that we've experienced, let's not let him take more. And as we move forward as a church, listen, one of the things that God is so good at and that he works so well through his people is overcoming difficulties and walking through valleys and in the midst of those difficulties and valleys, uh, doing some incredible things. A moment like this is a moment that I think we can see the power of God move through us in incredible ways, and a moment that we can see the grace and mercy and love of God move in so many ways. As we walk through this, I want you to know there's already been a lot of things that have happened this week through our finance committee, assembling a team of people that are going to begin looking at things very deeply within our church and strengthening our internal controls, working with an outside firm uh, for that. Uh, we've talked with our process together with our committee chairman and our personnel committee as well as with our deacons, uh, so they're informed of that. And um, and we see God moving behind the scenes um, we see God moving in some really, really cool ways, unexpected ways. And uh, we look forward to sharing a little bit more about that, um, hopefully in the days ahead. But ways towards reconciliation and restoration um, in a lot of different areas. And so be praying for your church. Be praying for, please, be praying for the Rebsman family um, at this time. Um, prayer can go a whole lot further than we could ever imagine. And so I just want to ask you to do that. I want to thank you already, church family, for so much of that that's taken place. Um, in the midst of all this, it's, it's awesome to see the goodness and the love and the encouragement uh, of the church uh, come forth. So that being said, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Acts chapter 4. So today wraps up our... Our our series that we've carried through uh, this time of of cancel, looking at some of the events of the early church and and, and the limits of the early church and seeing how God worked and moved through a lot of those limits in unlimited ways. And I want to draw your attention to a certain character um, this morning. You know, the Bible is full of characters and the church is full of characters. Every church has characters. Um, People that you identify and just mark. It doesn't matter how big your church is or how small your church is, there are certain people that that were just marked by these characters. Now, I don't want to pick on anybody this morning. I did that in the last service and I got my hand slapped for it, so I'm not going to do that this morning. But the truth of the matter is, as we've been regathering over the past several weeks together, uh, there have been certain people I'm looking for and trying to identify with because they're characters in our church. And so there's this person. And so in our last service, one of our people that hadn't been here through the whole time showed up this morning. And and I I mean, she's just a character in our church. She's just a a unique person. And, And so we've missed you, those of you that are characters. Some of you, like you're the kind of characters that we talk about behind your back. Like you're those kind of characters. For others of those characters, we're like, we're, we run up to you and we're excited. We, we all have unique characters um, in our church, and every church is made made of them um, because we're all unique and we're all different, um, and we're all a family. And because of that, we have to put up with the characters of each other. We have to bear with each other and all that. Um, well, in in Acts chapter 4, we're introduced to a really unique character um, in the story of the church. It's a character that doesn't play a major frontline scene. He's kind of a secondary character that is seen a few times through the story and then he disappears and we don't know where he goes, but, but he was a character that had a reputation in the church and God used this character in the church in some really unique ways that That aren't always looked at and aren't always brought up. And so today I want to do something different. I want to look at this character through the story of Acts. And his name was Barnabas. Um, Barnabas was a unique guy. um, Behind the scenes type person. But played a couple of really important roles. That are so needed in our lives. And ultimately I guess the encouragement of of what I want to do with this message today. As we look at the character of of Barnabas in the early church is to is to encourage in your life and in my life that spirit and attitude of Barnabas because God used him and I think God can use you and me in similar ways. So I want to introduce you to Barnabas. If you take your Bibles and turn to chapter 4 of the book of Acts, we're going to be doing a little bit of moving around today. Uh, but we begin in chapter 4 when we first meet Barnabas. Now in Acts chapter 4 in verse 32 we have a quick snapshot of what was happening in the church. And we looked at this several weeks ago. One of the things that was happening in the church was this surge of generosity within the church. And within that generosity, the sacrifice that was meeting people's needs. Like the church was really ministering to people and meeting them at the place of their needs. And needs are met. In fact, statements like everyone's need was met and there was no one amongst them that didn't have their need met. So there was a surge of sacrificial generosity. Um, and then a statement is made and we're introduced to a character, an example of that generosity in verse 36. So notice verse 36, if you will, it says this, that, then Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas. So this guy's name was Joseph and he had a nickname Barnabas. It's sort of like if, if your name is John and we call you Knucklehead or something like that. So it's a nickname. It was kind of a character trait, something about this person that, that warranted the nickname. So something he was doing, something he was that, that got him this nickname, Barnabas. And what's the big deal about that nickname? Well, look at the very next few words. It explains us what it was. It says, which means son of encouragement. One of the first things we notice about Barnabas as we're introduced to him is that apparently he had a reputation for encouragement. He was an encourager. And then it tells us a little about the first thing that we see him doing. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas also was likely a pretty wealthy man. um, And in his generosity... The Lord pressed upon him to sell a piece of property that he owned and to take the proceeds of that piece of property and bring it to the church so that the church could continue the work of the gospel and continue to meet the needs of those whom were they, who they were meeting. The thing I want to focus on is this nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. The word encouragement here is the Greek word paraclete. And what that word means... It's a, it's, a, it's a combo word, two words put together, that means to come alongside or, or to push along, to pull along. The picture and the idea of a of a is a person that, that comes alongside to help a person, to, to, to lift a person up and to, to pull a person along with something, whether it's grabbing them by the arm or whether it's picking them up. This was a person that comes alongside to be an assistant to help a person to where they're going and what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish. The picture of an encourager is given us most clearly in the nature of who God is. In John chapter 15, Jesus is describing the fact that he's gonna have to go back to heaven and he's gonna ascend, but he's gonna send the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 15, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as this, when the helper comes. That word helper that Jesus used is the same word that's used to describe Barnabas right here, paraclete. The very nature of the Holy Spirit of God is one of coming alongside us and helping us. And when you think about that, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what He did. He came alongside you. He literally came inside you. And now His responsibility, His goal and mission is to move you along in this will that God has for your life and this purpose that God has for you. He wants you to be more like God through Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit's work upon our life. Primarily is one of spurring us, of encouraging us, of pushing us and moving us along towards what God wants us to be and do. The paraclete, the helper. Barnabas was a, a New Testament picture of what that means. Pulling a learn alongside a person. Calling out the good and spurring it on. Not only is this in the nature and heart of God, but, but we also see it's it's something that we're told as followers of Christ that is to be part of our life. In Hebrews chapter three, verse 13, we read this, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now sin is a wicked and deceitful thing, and every single one of us have it lurking in us. And one of the tools that God has given the church, you and I, to help one another fight and battle sins deceitfulness is this gift of encouragement of walking alongside each other of of spurring one another on and helping one another walk through because we cannot beat this on our own and so we need to be encouragers part of the ministry of the church is to be one where we daily walk with each other and encourage Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 we read this let us not give up meeting together Meaning we ought to to gather as a church. This is where we typically look to why it's important that you plug into church and that you're part of a church and that you regularly gather with your church. And then he says this, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day coming. The reason that we are to get together as a church, the reason why we opened our doors this morning and why we're online this morning is because you need encouragement. Encouragement. We need encouragement. And one of the purposes of why we come together and why why we bring ourselves around other believers is so that there would be a generation, that there would be generated amongst us encouragement. That we'd spur one another, that we'd come alongside each other to move us along in what God wants to do in our lives. That's the main point. Point. To be a place of encouragement, that you come to this building, that you walk in this place and you're around these people and you're encouraged. That's what God wants to do amongst us. Yet I wonder how absent that is sometimes. How often you come to around the body of believers and, and you don't leave with that sense of encouragement. The burden is upon each and every one of us to be that. Listen to another passage of Scripture. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 5, 15, verse 5, where he speaks of it being a characteristic of God. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as followers of Christ Jesus. Part of the heart of God is to come alongside us and to spur us, to bring us along. And no clearer picture has He ever given of us. The way that that is enabled for us is that He literally came alongside of us in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He walked with us and He took upon Himself our sin and took that to the cross. And now in turn leaves the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to encourage us and push us along. One of the reasons why we, I think we, we so misunderstand what the Holy Spirit is and who the Holy Spirit is and what His role is in our life is because we don't understand encouragement. We understand conviction, which is another role of the Holy Spirit. We understand correction, which is certainly another role of the Holy Spirit. But that's not all he came to do. Just as much as he points out sin in our life, so too he points out the obedience and faith in our life. And the good things that we're doing for the Lord. And the ways that we're battling with sin and and overcoming it by the power he gives us to do that. And so we as a church need to be just as involved with that as well. That it's just as much as we notice each other's flaws and each other's mistakes, that so too we notice each other's wins. And we notice the victory of Christ in each other. That we notice each other's obedience. And we notice each other's faith. And we call each other on it. We talk about accountability in the church. And accountability is so important. We need that backbone of people willing to be courageous enough to call us out to obedience and out of our sin. But at the same time, part of accountability is also to call us out when we are living for Christ. When there's victory in us and there's obedience in us. Ella Wilson said a pat on the back is only a few vertebrae removed from a kick in the pants, but it is miles ahead in results. Gene Needick was a homemaker living in New York City. Who was severely overweight and desperate to lose weight? She was so frustrated with it, she made a visit to the New York City Department of Health uh, to, to see if there's any advice and help and plan that they could give her. And so, for her, they devised a diet. And so, Jean began to, to walk through that diet. And after a couple of months, if you've ever dieted, it, it's discouraging sometimes because you just want instant results and progress immediately and so after a couple of months she was she was pretty disappointed with the progress that she had made and and felt like she had a long ways to go and it just seemed so impossible to get to the goal that she wanted to be to be healthy and so with this diet she devised another plan and she called six friends over to her house and she challenged them to help her lose weight by also joining her in losing weight. And so they all agreed and they all got on the same diet plan and every week they would gather together and meet and, uh, and, and talk about this and, and visit with each other and hold each other accountable. And they would basically watch their weight together with well, this group of six women Expanded as they invited other people in and it ended up growing into to other groups. So much to the point that 57 years later, there are over 4.6 million people right now that are members of Weight Watchers. Needick Gene, Was able to devise a plan that helped people lose weight. And when asked how she did that, she tells a story. And she says this When I was a teenager, I used to cross a park where I saw mothers gossiping while toddlers sat on their swings with no one to push them. So I would come up and I'd give them a push. You know what happens when you push a kid on a swing? Pretty soon, he's pumping his legs. And before long, he's swinging on his own and doing it himself. And she said, That's what my role in life is. I'm just there to give others a push. William Arthur Ward says, flatter me and I may not believe you, criticize me and I may not like you, ignore me and I may not forgive you, but encourage me and I will not forget you. People need encouragement. Yes, they need correction. and That is okay. But moving and pushing people along and affirming people is vitally important to the work of the church, that we believe in people and we believe in the Jesus that is in people and that we believe that God can do something through anyone. You and I have the responsibility to be people that push each other along, that we look out for those moments and those opportunities to speak in and to say something. It's as simple as this. This is a simple practical tool. When you see something that a person does that is a display of obedience or faith or kindness or love or any of the fruits of the spirits, say something. Just say something to them. Hey, that was that was cool that you did that. That was kind of you. That was loving of you. I mean, listen, people need that encouragement. That encourages them, that, that, that God's using it, that it was a good thing that people recognize it, that, that, that it, it spurs them along in that. We need to be people that, that just as much as we notice the flaws in each other, we celebrate the good in each other and the things God is doing. Each other. Listen, you can, listen, we can even start really basic. We can be as superficial as you want to, surface lover as you want to. If you think somebody has a nice haircut, tell them. If you like their shoes, tell them. That's a nice shirt you have on. It's a nice smile you have on. Or they like the crack in your teeth. I mean, just something. The world needs it. The church is commanded to do it. We see that taking place in this person, Barnabas. But it wasn't just the words he used. He put those words into action. And so we fast forward in the story of Acts. We we see this man, this son of encouragement, this guy who had the nickname encourager within the church, kind of disappears in Acts chapter 5, and the story goes on, and we find him again at a really crucial point as the story of Acts begins to shift. In Acts chapter 9, something pretty drastic happens. One of the greatest enemies the church had known to that day is saved. A man by the name of Saul is saved. You know the story, he's on the road of Damascus, Jesus appears to him, calls him out, and immediately he's blinded and in his blindness his eyes are opened spiritually and he gives his faith to Christ. He trusts in Jesus Christ. And then there's this process of development that goes on with the Apostle Paul as he's growing in Christ. And in chapter 9, as the story goes on, Paul hits a roadblock in his early journey of faith. And the roadblock was he comes to Jerusalem where the hub of the church was. The the, the disciples, the apostles, the leaders of the church and You can understand this somewhat. He wants to meet with them, and and likely this young believer Saul wants to meet with him because he wants to be encouraged. He wants to apologize, likely. Maybe he wants to say, I'm sorry for all the things I've done in the past. I want to tell you that I'm a changed man, that God's gotten a hold of my life through Jesus, and and, and I'm joining forces with you, and I'm sharing the gospel with people, and and here's what God's doing thus far. But the apostles are, are terrified, and you can understand that likely thinking that what this guy saw was what it could be maybe maybe skeptical of it maybe they would be willing but but they're skeptical that it's likely that this guy saw is just simply a wolf in chief's clothing that he's he's basically created this this scene of him being saved and him converting to christianity and what he's going to do is infiltrate the ranks and rat everyone out that he's going to be a bug in this. And that he's going to begin telling everybody. And from the inside, he's going to rip them up. And he's going to basically tell everyone who they are and what's going on. And try to get them down. And take it down from the top up. Top down. And so he approaches them. And it tells us in verse 26 of Acts chapter 9. That they did not believe him. That he was a disciple. That they were afraid of him. But then in verse 27, we see this name again. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas went from being an encourager to being an advocate. And he took a risk on Paul who at the time was Saul. And he goes before these apostles because he has access to them and he says, listen, this is this man's story. And you don't have to believe him, but believe me. He's a changed man. And God is using him. And so we're told in verse 28 that he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists who were seeking to kill him. And then we see this in verse 31, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied, the church grew. Because Barnabas was willing to take this man and bring him up. We see another picture of this very characteristic in in Barnabas. In Acts chapter 11, he comes on the scene again very briefly. The church in Antioch, another town, was, was growing and and the church in Antioch was beginning to minister to a group of people called the Hellenists, which were basically Jewish descent who had really given over into the modern day things. And they they were Jews, but they were living culturally, culturally like the rest of the world. And, and so they're trying to witness to these people. And, and so to, to come alongside these people, uh, they decide, hey, God's moving, God's working. There's some great things going on here. But... But we're going to send in someone. And so they, they, in verse 22, we're told in Acts 11 that the report of this came to the ears of the church. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them, which is another word for encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast and with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas also went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and he brought him with him. He found him, and he brought him to Antioch. And a whole year, they met together with the church and taught a great many people. And so here you see it again. In fact, you see it on multiple levels. He's already brought up the Apostle Paul to his level and and introduced him and given him a platform to share the gospel. And now, he goes to Antioch, and he encourages this young church and, and teaches them and spurs along their faith and 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 God begins to work and move amongst them and they begin to become more evangelistic and more people being saved and more great things are happening in this. And so he takes a pause real quick. He travels to Tarsus. He looks for this guy, Saul, that he's discipled and brought up with him. And now he brings him to the work. And the two of them together stay there for over a year, working together, ministering together to this church. Well, that's a cool story, but there's actually some really big significances to this. Look at the last sentence In verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas came alongside the greatest enemy the church has ever known in human form. And through him, God created the greatest warrior the church has seen. Through the ministry of Barnabas, we got our name. Because up until this point in time, this group of people were just, there was a bunch of names that they were called. They didn't really know what to call themselves, and so they didn't really know what, to, what, what the world was going to call them. Some people called them people of the way. Some people called them uh, this sect of Judaism. They didn't really have any identifying mark of the disciples. But, but here in Antioch, this city that Barnabas poured his life into, this year with Saul into, it's there that we got the name Christians which means little Christs. Indirectly, as this man brought other people up, God did some incredible things. What Barnabas did is he grabbed hold of people. He took a risk with people and he invested in people and he discipled people. And in the investing and taking the risk in people and walking alongside with people and spurring people along, God did some incredible things with them. Not necessarily through Barnabas, but through the people that Barnabas invested in. Listen, when you think of this, if we wouldn't have Barnabas, it's very possible that we would not have nearly half the New Testament. Because the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote it. What would we be called right now? Had it not been for the investment of Barnabas in this church, who knows? We'd probably be called what everybody else calls us behind our backs. The the many different things. But it's because of this that we're known as Christians and that we know a man who taught us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the depths of our faith. The Apostle Paul. We as a church need to understand that part of our crucial ministry is one of taking risks in people, grabbing hold of them, and walking faith out step by step. The Bible calls this discipleship. Making followers of Jesus Christ discipleship. And it's not easy. And it takes a long time. And to be honest with you, it's never been harder than it is today. Because in our culture, in our world, we're less Christianized than ever before. The generation that God has set all around our church in the millennial generation is the most unreached and lost generation the world's ever known or America's ever known with less than 4% being Bible-believing Christians. Christians. The majority of whom have no idea what this book says. are biblically illiterate. Have a lot of questions, a lot of skepticism. Have a lot of issues. They weren't raised in church, many of them. And so easy approaches of let's just put a sign outside that says revival and people will come, don't work. Requires us going to them. Caring and loving and investing and encouraging and walking a long road. The Holy Spirit of God uses to open their eyes and make them into followers of Jesus. We must bring people up to our level. And that's, this same person that was involved in this later wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 12, Paul writes this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be tossed, children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness into deceitful schemes. Part of your role is not just your spiritual development and your growth and your story and your experience with God and your walk with God. Part of that growth and part of that walk is your walk with others and helping one another along with that and letting other people help you until we all I am accountable for you, you are accountable for me, there is a sense that we have a responsibility in each and every one of us to help one another grow to know him more, grow to love him more, grow to clean the sin out of our life, and grow to be used by him more. God is glorified when we're doing this together. And all of us play a part. Paul also writes to to Titus in Titus chapter two. He, He uses a generational approach. He says this in verse 2, Older men are to be sober-minded and dignified and self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness as an example to the rest. And then older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. They're to train the young women. He goes on. Likewise, verse 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. There's investment that we all have. Those of you of an older generation... Your legacy is how you invest in the younger generation. And those of us as a younger generation have the responsibility to let the older generation encourage us, correct us, direct us, and help us, and teach us how to run with the gospel and run towards Jesus. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, said this, if you wish to enrich days, plant flowers. If you wish to enrich years, plant trees. But if you wish to enrich eternity, plant ideals in the lives of others. It's about bringing others up, and that's what Barnabas did. And it made a profound effect on the church because he encouraged and he brought people up. There's one last thing I want you to see about Barnabas. It's because at this point in Acts, at this scene at Antioch, the name Barnabas disappears. We do not see him through the rest of the New Testament. His name is never mentioned, but his influence is. In Acts chapter 15, as the chapter closes out, we see Barnabas for the last time, and it came in an argument, a disagreement. You know the story a little bit. Barnabas and Paul ended up going into missionary journeys together, and a lot of churches were planted. Man, they had some incredible experiences together. They get back, they give report, and then they get geared up. They're ready to go out again. So let's go breathe. Let's take a break, but then let's get back out. And they make a decision. We want to go. It tells us here in verse 36 of Mark of, of, of Acts 15 that they, that they want to, uh, we want to go back to the places that we've planted churches in, to these cities, and encourage the brothers there and see how they're doing. Then Barnabas, in verse 37, as Barnabas always does, brings something up that creates an issue. It says, now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best to take them with him, because he'd withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There rose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. And this is is a unique story. Barnabas had likely a relative. It was probably like a nephew or something like that, that he wanted to bring, that he went on the first missionary journey. And somewhere along the way, we don't really know what happened here, whether it was fear or whether it was this, or whether he got homesick and missed his mommy. We're not really sure, but it got pretty tough on this first missionary journey together. And Mark or John Mark bailed. He just disappeared one day. He goes AWOL. And they keep going on. They continue to do ministry. And now Barnabas wants to give him another chance. And Paul says, no. No. We tried that and it didn't work. Besides, what we're about to do, it's it's not for the faint of heart. Like we're going into the war zone here, man. We, We don't need sissies. We don't need cowards. We don't need weaklings. And I'm sorry, Barnabas, we are not taking John Mark. And Barnabas said, well, yes, we are. I don't know what Barnabas said to him. I don't know the content of the disagreement. All we know, it was sharp. I mean, they had a brawl. I don't know that they exchanged fists. I think they're brothers in Christ and good Christians. Can't imagine Paul doing that. But, but they had this sharp disagreement, so sharp that they could not agree. And they decide the best thing for the kingdom of God is for us to separate. So you go and you take your little man, John Mark. Y'all go on your little cute little missionary journey amongst the daisies and the roses, and we're going out to the ends of the earth. And so that's exactly what happens. I don't know that it happened that way. It's a little liberty there. But Paul picks out Silas, and he builds a new team. And the story goes on, and the rest of the book of Acts is about Paul and his team. Silas and then Timothy joins, and Luke, the, the writer of this gospel uh, of this book, joins him, and there's this cohort of men that go and they plant churches and, and it leads all the way to Paul's arrest, which leads him all the way to Rome. It's this incredible story that takes on the rest of the narrative. And, and Barnabas is off the scene. He's never mentioned again. I mean, at that moment, he chose that he would no longer have a page and his name mentioned in the heroes of the early church. It was all Paul at that point. What what things did he miss out on? What happened after the fact? We don't really know, but I I do. We do know this, that the influence of Barnabas did not disappear. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of the last letters that Paul writes while in prison. He says to Timothy, who's traveled many, many miles to him, with him, in verse 11, he said, hey, Luke, he's the only one with me right now. Will you get Mark and bring him to me? For he is very useful to me ministry decades after paul had said he is not useful to me we find this man in a prison dying saying i need him somewhere along the way barnabas did the same thing he did for paul And he did for Antioch. He did for so many other people. He chose the weak over the strong to spur them towards strength in the Lord. In fact, in Paul writes in one other letter to a friend named Philemon, his address, he says this in verse 23, Epaphras is my fellow prisoner in Christ. He sends greetings and so do Mark. Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. This man remains with Paul the rest of the way. To our best understanding, most scholars believe that this man, Mark, John Mark, is the writer of the gospel of Mark, which was the first gospel many believe to be written. He was the first one that put pen to paper that described the life and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, Matthew and Luke both used Mark's gospel as a framework for what they wrote. Barnabas is a great picture of this that I need to be reminded in my life, and I think you do too, no matter who you are, God is not done with you. No matter what you've done, God is not done with you. What God is looking for is people that will help. That will walk with and bring each other along. You need it. You need to be it. All around us, there are people who are so far from God, who have made mistakes, who don't look like us, dress like us, talk like us, don't understand things like us, probably don't vote like many of us. And it's not our job to make them us, it's our job to go to them where they are and walk with them. God works greatest in brokenness And he has a really good job of taking weakness and making it strong. And he wants to use people like you with that heart of a Barnabas that'll go the distance, that'll call out the good as they correct the bad. Encourage someone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you came all the way into our brokenness and our failure and our weakness and our depravity with your son, Jesus. You came to us. You became one of us. And you took from us our sin. And in your son, put it on the cross. Help us to practice that ministry. To walk that ministry. Of the many things that people would say about our church and about us as believers, Lord, may they see us as a group of people that that encourage and that are willing to meet people at the darkest, lowest, ugliest parts of their life and walk with them. Help us to do that. Help us to to have your eyes of righteousness that notice righteousness and encourage righteousness in each other and spur that on with one another. For so long, the church has been known for what we don't like and what we're against. And certainly, Lord, you're against things, and so we're against things. Lord, you're also a God of encouragement. And so help us also to be those people whose encouragement whose love and kindness and compassion and care is just as loud and even more so real than the other things. I thank you that people have come alongside us and helped us with that. They've put up with us, they've forgiven us and they've encouraged us and they've pulled us up and he's given us opportunities and They've spoken for us. They've corrected us. May we be a church that does that, even for the next generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.